Welcome to the Nouveau Shamanic Cinema, the podcast where we watch films as if they were dreams or imaginal practice. For this episode, we watched Paprika. Paprika is an anime film in which a machine is developed that allows you to enter people's dreams and perform therapy. We ended up talking about a wide range of things, including emptiness and form, creativity and boundaries, the dream version of you and the waking version of you, and the animistic roots of experience. We mentioned Steve Eisenstadt's Dream Tending and River Kenner's Dream Return, both of which I will link to in the show notes. Hope you enjoy! Welcome back, everyone, to Nouveau Shamanic Cinema. My name is Joost Vervoort. I'm Rosa Lewis. And today we are talking about uh, an anime called Paprika. It's a 2006 anime film by the director of the film is Satoshi Kon. He's a famous anime director, did some other films like Perfect Blue and Tokyo Godfathers. Yeah, he's, he's sort of like, I would say, the other famous uh, Japanese director of anime next to Miyazaki of uh, Ghibli fame. And yeah, this is, uh, this is Paprika. It's famously weird anime, really colorful. It's a film about a machine that allows people to essentially perform therapy in other people's dreams. And yeah, things go really really off the rails with this machine. The film was a was an inspiration for Inception, the Christopher Nolan film of 2010. Personally, I like Paprika a lot more. I think it's more in, in tune with dream imagery and everything like that. But uh, yeah, Paprika is really a film that we were always, I think, going to have to do because it's so connected to imaginal practice and film as dream and all this kind of stuff. Like it's a really perfect fit for our show. So let's let's talk about it. We have, uh, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of aspects of this film to cover. But we'll just get started. Yeah. So, what's your first impression, Rosa? Yeah, I think it's like the themes are amazing. So I felt like this is the film for this podcast in a way. But also just like the whole style, the whole thing. It was like it was done really nicely in the way that a dream is done. There's like this recurring meme that comes through of this. Like one of the main things in the film is this sort of like parade of all these different sort of weird toys and there's like a walking fridge with some things inside of it and it's like opening and closing and like chairs and it's it's just like this sort of fantastical parade of different objects and toys and animals and and it comes with this like soundtrack and it's almost like every time you hear the soundtrack in the film and that parade starts coming through you're like Ooh, it's like really trippy and really dreamy and that just feels like a little just like a taste of this the sort of mind-bending different fun dream-like quality that is in through the whole film which is really cool i love that yeah yeah so interesting so maybe we can get right into that bit Mm -hmm. let's start with the parade so the parade apparently in the movie uh, it's a sort of almost like a sort of like dream virus that spreads through all out all all people's dreams so the, the the thing with the dc mini this device that you can use to sort of like go into other people's dreams it was created by a researcher at the institute where dr chiba the main character works this big hulky guy who is like a enthusiastic man-child 
genius who just that was like, oh, I want to share my dreams with my friends. So I'm going to make this thing, and, you know, and he succeeds. But he almost finished it. And then he didn't put on a bunch of safeguards because he didn't care enough about that stuff. And it gets stolen by a colleague of his, by his assistant. Uh, but his assistant seems to be under the influence of someone else as well. And anyway, that's a whole mystery that sort of works out. But the thing is that somehow the DC Mini starts to disconnect from its own physical limitations in a way. And everyone who's been in touch with it is now directly influenceable by dreams. So dreams can spread. So it's like this sort of thing where the dreams can just spread from person to person. And this dream of this insane parade like you said it has all these weird creatures it has lots of gods and sort of like body dharma figures and puppets and, and sort of godlike bodhisattva type things going on there as well is apparently the dream of some severely mentally ill patient that had that dream and so everyone who gets in touch with that goes into sort of like full dream reality where they're saying weird nonsense things and then they start jumping off of buildings and stuff and they join the parade and it's like this the, it's almost like the parade is sort of the heart of the dream madness you know yeah and then it's not just when people are sleeping as well it's while they're awake and yeah. it's like the what's reality and what's dream starts blending really nicely yeah yeah. And I liked the bit, it was only a short bit in the film, but it was like the parade had all the, yeah, bodhisattvas or Buddha type characters and then all the homeless people. And it was like these different, almost like subsections, society kind of going through, almost like saying the scripts of the things that those sorts of people in life say. And it was almost like a commentary on zombie walking through life and just sort of like dreaming through life and just kind of saying the scripts that you say that your like section of society says. And then there was almost like a subtle... I guess themes around like waking up and seeing what's really going on and like what is that I also really liked there was like three or four kind of like main doctors and a guy who was sort of like the CEO of their company and the interactions between them felt a lot like in a dream where you're trying to sort of like put piece together what the events are and it's a bit stressful and you sort of you feel like the characters have got to do a job but you're not really sure what that is and it's that had that sort of like dream quality when you're in a dream and you're like oh shit I've got to do this thing and then da, 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 and da, and <laughs> yeah it's like unclear what the context is and what who the characters are and things like that a bit as well it's nice yeah really nice uh, there's something really ominous about the dream parade and everything as well and mm -hmm. the, the most ominous image I think in the in the film is that doll mm -hmm. there's this sort of like creepy little woman doll there are some really beautiful scenes that for me are almost the epitome of haunting unsafe creepy dream vibes so dr chiba is to explain is the main character and she's the head of the research team uh, but she has an alter ego a dream version that's called paprika which is sort of the dream therapist and she's like a sort of like bright young girl who's very playful and sort of like dreamlike and chiba herself is a much more severe sort of like a, a strict person and so that's an interesting dynamic between mm -hmm. the two but uh, chiba at some point ends up in a sort of half dream landscape where she ends up in an old theme park that is like old decrepit theme park and the sky i was mentioning it while we were watching it but the sky in the theme park is like this sort of like creepy dark blue mm. so you have all these bright colors but then but then the light is a little bit too dark and then there's just this really creepy music going along with it and it just has this sense of sort of like disturbing madness and then that puppet is there waving and it's really creepy the doll is almost like the cheshire cat from alice in mm. wonderland where it's like we're all mad here you know and at some point it appears and it becomes gigantic like a godzilla and it has this creepy laugh and stuff and yeah lots of creepy dolls mm -hmm. yeah good combo fun playful creepy nuts yeah 
So I feel like there's a few themes that I really want to talk about with this film. One being emptiness and form, and then another one being opacity and transparency. So we talked recently on, a, on an episode about The Green Knight about opacity and transparency. And I guess just a very quick version. Transparency is your capacity to be with experience without any boundaries between you and it. And opacity is the capacity to sort of see your experience thing. So it's like transparency would be the capacity to feel really sad and to have a cry and to like not hold back. Opacity would be the capacity to, to notice. Oh, I feel sad right now. It's like those two modes. And we were saying with The Green Knight, it had a very transparent quality to it. It's like we were really in the movie and the meaning and the everything it was just a sort of direct transmission where you, you almost like can't see what you're watching but you can just sort of feel it and this felt like the opposite for this podcast this felt like super opaque really really high opacity where it's almost like the, the job that we normally do in this podcast where we watch the film as if it's a dream and then describe it back it's almost like the film was already doing that and showing us what we're doing <laughs> kind of like providing the commentary so it's sort of like an interesting thing like there was a really nice scene where there's a guy that paprika is sort of doing dream therapy for he's a detective and he kind of has this recurring stressful dream of chasing someone that ends up being him and going through all these different strange dream realms like a circus and a corridor that sort of dissolves under his feet and throughout the film they sort of go through this dream a few times and end up entangled in different bits of dreams and then he ends up coming into the parade dream and things but at one point on one of their little adventures they kind of end up in a movie theater and they're sat in the movie theater watching the dreams on the thing and then they start talking about the different camera angles talking about the dream and the different perspectives that you can see within a dream like from the perspective of camera angles like when the camera crosses the line and you see it from the other side so you're seeing them from one side she's on the left he's on the right the camera crosses the line and then they, they swap sides and they talk about why you shouldn't do that in films and in dreams <laughs> and then like panning out and it's sort of like they're commenting on what the perspective of the dream is within the movie and then they're in the dream but are they in the dream and are they awake and then I'm like watching that thinking <laughs> that's what we're normally doing like we're sat here like side by side talking about this and often we sort of switch the perspective so it's like on us or is it on the film and yeah, yeah it just felt like this sort of really kind of trippy making things very opaque and obvious and sort of sad. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. It's it's a lot of fourth wall breaking, right? It's like the film is talking sort of directly to us in a way, sort of semi-directly, I guess. It's not ac actually directly talking to the mm -hmm. viewer, but it's like, it's just making things really uh, opaque. It enhances the opacity so that you see what you're looking at rather than seeing through it, mm -hmm. which is right the point of opacity. You're not a fish in the water, you see the water mm -hmm. and you're like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's really interesting because I think if that's the way the film can also start to spill over into life a bit where you're like, wait a minute, maybe it will come, you know, maybe the parade will come down the street and stuff like that. We were joking about that last night. That is definitely sort of making you aware of your own experiences of dreams and how these things sort of spill over in each other. Yeah. And then there's uh, emptiness and form. That's the other mm -hmm. one you wanted to talk about. I guess there's something I've, I've talked a bit about and there's a way that I feel like this film just does this really beautifully where I guess within Buddhism you've got the the two truths which is kind of like this this more sort of spiritual truth and then this more like physical realm and then you have emptiness and form where it, you know it's saying emptiness is form so it's sort of it's kind of saying both at different moments in different times and neither of those really make sense to me whereas this film does something with both where it's almost showing the ways in which 
the sort of emptiness and the kind of dreamlike nature and the anything can happen and nothing has any fixed form because at any moment you can sort of fall through the floor and be in a completely different landscape or you know a big parade can walk down the street or like a a big void can appear in the middle of the city it's almost like all of that sort of like emptiness changing perspectives different characters have different views and values and paradigms and all of that stuff and the very dreamlike quality is sort of spilling over into the physical reality in a way that defies a normal understanding of what the physical reality is and the physical reality is kind of spilling over into the dreams there's a really nice conversation where the character the doctor character who is paprika is like her sort of dream alter ego they sort of have a conversation about which one's the more real one which is nice it's almost like they're not separate and they spill over into each other and create a sort of very trippy rich universe that can't be pinned down to anything but also they're not one thing clearly because if everything was just the dream world then our whole worlds would just be these crazy dreams that never have any sort of fixed form yeah but if it was just the form world you wouldn't get all the like meaning and the subjective experience and the kind of the depths of that stuff to me it just like depicts that so really beautifully yeah yeah what sort of connects to that which i find really interesting and useful is when you were talking about paprika and dr chiba talking about who is the version of whom this film really reminds me of is a really cool paradigm or a cool perspective with a lot of practical i think use on working with dreams called dream tending so i can i can see if i can find the reference but there's a there's an interview with someone in, uh, in deconstructing yourself the michael taft's podcast about dream tending and if you look for dream tending you can find it and it's about working with dreams not as if they're symbolic so i think in the episode there's an example of a bear and it's not like the bear is a symbol for your parents or something like that the bear is a bear so you, you engage with the dreams you engage with the creatures and the beings and the and the phenomena in your dreams as if they are real and not just as if they are real but in a way because they are real mm-hmm. right so that's yeah. really the way to take it seriously so the way that they see it is that you're engaging with this dream reality with the reality of, of these dreams and you take them for real and you engage with them as real so so you take the dream reality as its own on its own terms. So dream tending instead of dream explanation or dream sort of reading or whatever. It's like taking care of the dream. I'm tending to it. I'm giving care and energy and love to the dream and I'm engaging with it. And in that model, what they're talking about is you have this dreamer version of yourself. That is, it's you, but it's less rational and more sort of intuitive and soulful inside of you that wakes up when you go to sleep. And it's almost like that dreamer is also part of you when you're awake, but it's just beneath the surface. And it's almost letting that dreamer rise to the surface in in waking life so that you can be more of that dreamer. And I feel like it's almost like you have a little shell around you that's waking you and the dreamer is just like bobbing up, you know, in your body. And, uh, you know, the Paprika, Dr. Chiba uh, conversation is a little bit like that, right? Where, where, where Paprika is like, I may, maybe you're part of me kind of thing. You know, and they talk in dream tending also about if there's fierce, horrible beings and nightmare creatures in your dreams to sort of make friends with them. And then you can use them as allies in your waking life. You can sort of see them as a source of soul strength in your waking life. And I think engaging with the world of dreams and that sort of imaginal realm of dreams as its own reality. That's super nice. A couple of things coming up. I think one is our friend River also talks about dreams in a similar way. I think he calls it dream return. But as you were just describing then, he also uses the term that it's almost like we have two different modes within us. 
which are sort of, you know, loosely kind of understood as right brain, left brain, but he calls them systemic mode and spontaneous mode. It's almost like the spontaneous mode is this sort of dreamer and you can bring it out to the surface. And in the retreat that we ran, me and River, my partner David, I think about halfway through the day or two thirds of the way through the day, we sent everyone off for half an hour to walk around and basically walk around as if they were in a dream. Everything they're seeing is in a dream and almost kind of like trying to flip it inside out so that that spontaneous mode, the dreamer, is your primary way of being in the world, which is obviously something I can relate to. So we've we've been doing a retreat for a few days and talking about a few few things. It feels a bit related to being a poem as well, which is something that you've been exploring. Yeah, definitely. So the idea of being a poem, it's funny because in a way it also relates to form and emptiness, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like you can engage with your experience in a very material way where you feel sort of the materiality of it, the solidness of it and everything like that. But there's a way in which you can sort of like shift perspective slightly where every sensation is like a poetic expression. Every part of you, even the most stupid, uncomfortable, self-hating, self-critical, dumb thoughts and sensations and stress impulses are an expression of poetry. You know, so you could say, I am a dream, I think in a way as well. I am a poem, I am a dream. And if that can be true without reserve, in a way, it's an, it's a more interesting version of form and emptiness because it's not like you're saying everything is malleable and everything is sort of like just made up. Mm-hmm. You're just saying there's a, a different perspective, like a different camera angle almost, you know, to use that metaphor, uh, to take on the same thing whereas from one angle it looks like materiality and it has all its limitations and from the other angle i don't think that really changes but it is poetic expression so it's just taking a different perspective yeah so form is form and emptiness is emptiness but depends on how you look at it doesn't mean that those two categories are interchangeable then you're just living in sort of a fantasy realm where i think that's your example suddenly be able to turn into a dragon or something yeah totally And then another interesting thing, which is something we were talking about, is almost like there's a few different levels almost to relating to imaginal practice, dream work, all of this stuff, experience. And the first one being a very like psychologized approach. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like analyzing your dreams or, you know, like using metaphor in a very sort of like, oh, it's revealing something about your psychology. And then there's a kind of IFS type way of relating to it which is your subjective experience is sort of full of these different parts that sort of have their own forces and they're their own beings and their own their own nature and then there's like another level which is you're engaging with something outside of you that has its own life force its own energy direction and I think that this is more what we're like talking about here with when you get into the level of yeah like looking at what reality is reality being a poem you being a poem dream return or dream tending it's sort of like engaging with something on its own terms rather than assuming that it's a part of you or something and and one thing i'm thinking about when i think about the way that imaginal practice is being represented in this film when i when you're mentioning this so uh, paprika and the detective when they're dealing with his sort of anxiety dreams they're just sort of like in that dream mode and they're really um, going along with the dream narrative in a way and i think there's a way in which imaginal practice has maybe a bit more calmness to it where it's like (laughs) you're not really maybe running along with all the excitement i mean i mean obviously that's where imaginal practice is different from this kind of dream work because the dream work you're in the dream and in in imaginal practice i think there's more lucidity and control Mm -hmm. right 
uh, maybe not control, but sort of like reflexivity and, mm-hmm. and maybe you could say opacity, I suppose, Yeah. where you are aware of what's going on and you can take your time and you can stop things and, and investigate things. In a way, it's almost more like when they talk about the film thing. I think with imaginal practice, there's a bit more of a sort of like directorial control where you could say, okay, let's slow things down. Let's move mm-hmm. away from this to investigate everything. And, and and I think ask questions of things. So one thing that I really like to do in imaginal practice is when there's a scary thing or there's a something intimidating or something strange is to talk to it and maybe to ask the person I'm guiding to take that thing's perspective, right? So for instance, if it was an imaginal practice and I would be doing it with Dr. Chiba and she would run into that creepy doll, I would love to talk to that doll. I think that mm. part of what is scary about that doll is that it's like this sort of like un- unintelligible force thing. And I would love to speak to it and understand it. And I think one of the most powerful things I've seen in imaginal practice is those shadowy forces that come up that represent really dark stuff for people to ask them to take the perspective of that shadowy force and speak from what are its motivations, what are its needs, etc. And that seems to be really powerful. Yeah, I love that. That feels like related to there's the emptiness quality of being able to shift perspectives very deeply and sort of like pick things up and look at things from different angles for things to turn into something completely different to what you expected at the start. But it's still sort of like a respect for the form in its nature. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, talking about that, because there was something something really creepy about the parade and the puppet and things where they were looking for who was controlling this stream right and it was mm. the assistant of dr takeda i think is his name and they were like oh he's gone crazy or whatever and it turns out not to be him they find this really scary shell like this massive shell of that character mm-hmm. uh, at one point like a sort of like honeycomb shell he's been completely hollowed out so he's his mind is gone and it, that doll that girl doll seems to represent almost like a malevolent force from deep within the dream. At some point, it's revealed that the mover and shaker behind the whole initiative seemingly is the chairman, this old guy who is like, oh, dreams are the last refuge of humanity and we shouldn't be messing around with it with technology, which actually is kind of understandable as a perspective. (laughs) And it's brought as this really ominous thing and he's really creepy. And he's power hungry and he wants to sort of, he's in a wheelchair. I think it's like a little ableist that he's like in a wheelchair. He's like, no, I want power. I want to be able to walk again. And then he turns into a dark god. But, you know, sometimes Japanese movies can be a little insensitive like that. But I feel like, what I was intrigued by was this sense that the dream itself, that the depths of sort of the madness of the dream itself were sort of, was sort of coming to life and spilling over into the world. And that doll was sort of like a evil dream spirit or something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so, so some kind of dark quality of dream itself. Yeah, that's really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this sense that it's a power that we that's bigger than we can control kind of mm-hmm. thing that's sort of spilling over into reality. Yeah. It's super interesting, the characters and the struggles between the scientists and the the evil kind of like CEO type guy who is more sort of like wanting to protect the dreams. You can almost like with every character see their perspective and imagine their world and kind of like felt like every character was relatable in a certain way, in a sort of dreamlike way where when you're in a dream, you're often different how you are. Yeah, yeah, to- I totally agree. And the... um what I also thought was sometimes a bit creepy and sometimes a bit Japanese creepy insensitive anime stuff with some sort of like 
unconsensual uh, touching and stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. where where the the assistant to the chairman goes into paprika's body and rips her open and it's all kind of gross but but there's a way in which i think that that is a little bit anime you know but there's a way in which that is also like a little it's quite honest like yeah. there, there are like weird sexual sort of like things going on with the <laughs> The men with the camera heads looking under the girls' skirts and stuff where, well, I mean, it's a dream. So people are in their subconscious. So they're going to do weird stuff that's not allowed, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's their urges coming out. And I thought that was sort of in a way, yeah, it's kind of realistic, I suppose. Yeah, 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 definitely. There are some models of sort of what dream realms are like, where there's a sense, and also from games and stuff, where there's a sense that the further you get away from reality, the more you get into sort of, pure madness the wild you know with a, with a y is sometimes what it's called is sort of like you, the further you move away from consensus reality the, f- the more you get towards that sort of like parade energy <laughs> where everything is just sort of like intense and, and overwhelmingly crazy and and going really fast and you know we've talked about this stuff yeah like, with the sort of concept of the black box the black box which is this uh, sort of like almost like a black hole where there's an event horizon of things going so being so crazy and so much and so fast that the mind cannot keep up yeah right and there's a black boxiness to this uh, emanations of the black box sort of to that sort of parade i think right yeah totally yeah the dangerous energy of unlimited uh, creativity yeah imagination yeah unbounded expression yes just becomes madness yeah and and Dr. Takeda, the, uh, the the gluttonous big guy, who oh, yeah. c- created the the DC Mini, and just be having sort of this curiosity. There there was there's a, an interesting episode of this mythics based podcast called The Emerald that we've been listening to about AI, and I thought it was an, an original perspective. It's about how there's a part of the desire to create AI that is sort of like fueled by the desire to create these beings that. Are greater than us it's almost mm-hmm. like a desire to resurrect the divinity of the universe mm-hmm. by creating these things that are not us and that we can sort of bow to submit to worship or whatever and, and there's a curiosity of sort of like how crazy can it get mm-hmm. that's definitely an impulse with the ai and i think that character uh, dr takita really rep- represents that sort of like unbounded curiosity you know there's a there's a line in in jurassic park where uh, jeff goldblum uh, says the famous line where he says they were so obsessed with finding out if they could that they never stopped to think whether they should yeah and it's like that is the energy of the dc mini just like this excitement to sort of just open up this portal to the dream world right which i can totally relate to and it's interesting like this is the place where it's almost like my feelings around emptiness and form and respecting boundaries and respecting limitations come from having not done that opened the black box purposefully gone into the archetypal realm mysticism delved all the way into that you know inspired by Jung and and some of you have done this gone into the absolute depths of madness and that parade my whole reality just being that parade like every moment just being like this meaning and, and, and kind of like cosmic force and being like huh well one it doesn't matter how far you go into that hole form still exists you're still in the limitations of a physical body and you're still in a physical realm and as you sort of take away all the fixed concepts of what reality are you actually land deeper and deeper into an immediate 
experience that the physical is, is a strong part of. And then the other part is creativity comes from having boundaries of, you know, you've got a page, turn it into a piece of art. If it becomes unbounded, it just becomes madness. And yeah, that's what I always think. I always think like, Everyone loves the idea of emptiness and that there's no fixed perspectives and things until a psychotic person walks into the room. And then it's like, no, 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 not that type of emptiness. It's like a, there, there are implicit boundaried assumptions and limitations and things and they're there for a reason. And it's like, let's bring those in as part of that interaction and that, that like wild expression of reality that is a kind of conversation between body and metaphor and dream and physical reality and the two blending and it becoming very interesting but that respects and includes all of the importance of like our physical limitations and groundedness and sanity and <laughs> those sorts of things. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I could see you laugh every time the parade would come on screen. You were like, oh yeah. And I think that parade, that sort of like craziness, it's really archetypically resonant. I think mm. that's an archetype. The parade of crazy people and objects and just madness as a parade. Mm -hmm. I think there's something really powerful about that image about people just sitting and <laughs> waving and being crazy. The exuberant madness of that, I think is a really strong and really resonant image, mm -hmm. right? And a really good representation of, of a way of being that maybe we don't want to yeah. be too much of. Combined with that doll, that doll also represents something. Mm. The doll, I mean, dolls are always creepy, right? But that sort of like very specific image of that doll just sort of like cre creepily smiling. It's like sort of this soulless mind darkness. Mm. A sort of mind madness and mind darkness that I think is another really good archetype. But to have that doll, that sort of like really cold, creepy, laughing doll in the middle of this more exuberant, self-hypnotized sleepwalking crazy parade that's a powerful combination yeah right of sort of like the danger of the dream realm yeah right and i feel like there's something in the ending where the bit the big present ceo guy is like become huge and powerful and he's this big sort of like dark god and then he's opening up a huge void in the middle of the city and just like this void that's sort of sucking everything in yeah that sort of feels like i guess the other side of it there's like an unbounded fullness and creativity and the parade and the bump and then with that you get i guess the opposite way that, that can go is just the void that kind of like sucks everything into it which feels related to the dark mind madness but yeah. then at the end the girl there's a girl isn't there who grows really really big is she paprika I yeah yeah sure. yeah. she's i think she's a child version of dr chiba and then she right. turns into adult dr chiba right it feels a bit like paprika and dr chiba and the child version of her kind of like growing 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 and sort of like just sucks in all the darkness and all the craziness and restores a sense of i guess wholeness and peace and reality and groundedness to the whole thing it's really interesting in the end of the movie all the dream stuff disappears but the damage is still there yeah. so the city has completely been wrecked the crater is there and it's just been wrecked by dream stuff right? yeah it doesn't give you the get out clause of oh yeah. it was just a dream the impact is still in the physical realm yeah really uh, really nice and it's it's a really interesting because there's this sort of like collective madness and there's the parade and all this stuff and the craziness around that and the power struggle with the chairman and then there's that secondary narrative line which is about uh, the detective and his sort of like more mm. regular imaginal practice around you know wanting to be a filmmaker and this guy that was always ahead of him and i think there were some interesting much more subtle sort of 
aspects of that as well, where, you know, this guy ultimately turns out to have died and he's regretful about having envied him. So there's envy and regret in there. And then the guy ultimately sort of, he, he sort of like recruits this guy as a sort of ally that tells him like, look, you've actually started to live the life that we made a film about and this is really cool. And there's these waiters that sort of become allies in the fight as well. And I think there's a an interesting depiction of sort of normal imaginal journeying there somehow. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It's like the much more normal human emotions playing out, I suppose, but in this way in which the realms are feeding his own spiritual emotional growth yeah and they're sort of like a bit crazy and intense all around him but he's more connected to his human story i suppose he's kind of like a thread that keeps it all quite human rather than it just going off into this like sci-fi imaginal craziness yeah you could say that in a way he's almost the real protagonist of the film because his uh, psychology is most elaborated on right so Mm -hmm. his inner world is most elaborate and he provides a stabilizing force Uh, he helps paprika and stuff like that because of his sort of earnest engagement with his own psychology and his goals being a little bit less crazy and then some of the other other characters he he ends up being a kind of stabilizing force for the other ones in the film where he's maybe able in, in some way to keep his reflexivity and to keep things opaque rather than being sucked into the transparency yeah right uh, whereas all these other people are just full transparency like dr takeda is that robot and like these they're just like in the madness yeah that's really really interesting so yeah, so and then maybe talk a bit about uh, Paprika as mm-hmm. a character. Do you feel in any way related to Paprika? Do you identify with that? Yeah, well, I think the concept of like having the split personality of mm. the sort of like reality person and then the dream person, and maybe I guess relating more strongly to the dream character and the dream person, and that feeling more more true of the personality felt very resonant for me, definitely. Yeah, what's your uh, what's your paprika like? I don't know. Maybe you know better. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. We were doing some sort of touch-based practice yesterday, some holding feet and heads and stuff, just to sort of get a sense of the other person's vibe. And I think it was really interesting to sort of get a sense of your internal liveliness and energetic nature inside, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that that feels like that's relevant. Yeah, in the equivalent of you being a poem. For me, there's a, in Annihilation, which we've also done on this podcast, there's a thing, a mandel bulb, which is like a 3D, a 3D fractal that's sort of like, and then it's just very colourful and it's a bit dark in the film, which I mean, isn't untrue, but I think in me it's more lively and benevolent, but it feels like my sort of inner experience is very much of this sort of like just mandel bulb quality of story and energetics and things where you can almost like zoom in on any detail and then that can become a whole universe or you can zoom out to an endless size and then that just becomes a detail. So if that's your paprika, the mandel bulb, mm-hmm. uh, the difference between me being a poem and you being a mandel bulb, there, there is a difference between having more of a sort of narrative poet, poetic expression as a main mode and being more primarily energetic and physical where shape and pattern and mm-hmm. energy are really the main way of being. Yeah. And there's not a lot of narrativization around it or maybe none. And this is where it makes it kind of alien in a way is that it's so direct. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. So, so in your case, it would be because you're so you you have a very unique experience, and the experience is also very embodied and for, sort of energy based. That what makes you uniquely you in that sense, or what makes the mental bulb you, is that it is so rooted in energetics and in physicality and in direct experience of reality, non-narrative. 
Yeah. Right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Whereas for me, the tone is, we were talking a bit about the faces of the universe or the faces of God that you have inside you. And, you know, you can take that however you like, but it's an interesting experiment. And that for you, that would be the sort of like pure energetic expression of being and energy and pattern and things like that. And for me, it would be more poetically narrative and expressive and maybe language based and visuals based. Mm-hmm. And that that's a difference between a person who's sort of body first versus more mind first. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, super cool. So then for the listeners, I think that there's a question there. What is the most extreme uh, dream logic version of you? If you would uh, sort of turn yourself into as alien or as non-normal a creature as possible, if you're allowed to not have to conform to normal life, what would be your weirdest sort of like most dream like like really at that level of the parade of the creepy doll whatever yeah um version of you and what would that look like we would be very interested in that i think yeah and it's almost something like as, as you describe it it's something like in the core of your being like i feel like when we're talking about these things it's almost like the process of taking layers off of all these sort of fixed ways of looking at the world at yourself at others kind of like just sort of p- habitual patterns that you have and getting closer into your core, it's almost like indiscriminate attunement to the depths of your own being and the universe in a very direct way. Mm. And sort of like getting in touch with like, if nothing needs to be anything, which is one of your really nice phrases, it's like nothing needs to be anything. And you're just attuning to really what's in there, like what's in the depths, what's the deepest, maybe weirdest expression of that thing. And then, of course, there, there can be questions like, so you have the Mendel bulb. Uh, what does that look like when it's slightly more characterized, like when it's slightly more like a, a person? And what is that then like? I'm, I'm getting this image of you sitting on top of it, like you have like a Mendel bulb, like <laughs> steed. What shape does the, the most dreamy mystery dream take inside of you? What does that look like? And what is the tone of that? And, and uh, what's the modality of it? Because that's the difference between us. Your modality is more like fundamentally physical, energetic. And my modality is more expression, I guess, is, yeah. the, is, is the word maybe expression and, and poetics and sort of imagery. Yeah, I think that's nice. As you were saying that, I was just feeling about the conversation we had where it's almost like with the sort of like universe mandel bulb, it's like very easy for me to just be a tiny piece of the mandel bulb that is the universe in my experience, mm. where I'm just sort of like a thing that's like bobbing along as part of the flow and there's no separation between me and what's around me. It's all just this mandel bulb. But then also you can kind of flip the perspective and then it's like I'm channeling the mandel bulb or, or the and it's sort of like flowing through me and then at that point it's a bit overwhelming because it's like my body's trying to contain this whole this whole energetic thing and it's like but yeah it's almost like having the different perspectives of it's like a system that you exist within or something that you're channeling or you know there's completely different modes of holding things i suppose and it's cool to like experiment and play yeah yeah totally i have two questions one is uh is there an art form that you could find that would express pure Mandelbaum? <laughs> right, yeah. Like that just that like be? sort of like just fi- just like sort of like live dubstep or live drones where you just like yeah. you're just sitting there being a drone machine. And I could almost imagine us, you know, if I'm like speaking poetry while you're doing like a drone thing and it's like the two energies. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I spoke to a, a guy, a sort of noise artist in Japan who was making noise pieces together with Zen monks mm. in monastery. So they okay. were like, they were, they were doing noise tea ceremony. So yeah. you're doing the tea ceremony and it's like... <laughs> 
and then you're doing it. So that, that's sort of like, right? Because the yeah. tea ceremony is very um, embodied. Yeah. It's like embodiment and sort of care. And it's the last samurai, which we also spoke about uh, in another episode. But then it's with noise music. And I feel like that's sort of relevant. Um, and then the other question would be, and a bit more topical to the movie, I guess. What I find interesting is that Dr. Chiba is paprika. Mm-hmm. And she's a, like a real dream athlete or a dream expert. Like she's really good at this. So she's very flexible in the dream world. But her normal personality is completely opposite, right? Mm-hmm. She's this very responsible, structured person, and she runs the team and things like that. And then she's in love with, secretly in love with Dr. Takeda, who is like a playful mm-hmm. guy. And that turns out to be like happily ever after for them. And that's mm-hmm. really unexpected, but mm-hmm. it'd be quite interesting. I'm, I'm not sure what my question is, but I guess it's something like, how does that work, right? How do you think, do you have any theories about how that works? Because she is this one person and then her, her dream version is very different mm-hmm. so what gives her what do you think makes her paprika what gives her the power to be like a great dream traveler dream guide and then there's that sort of contrast with what she's like normally yeah there's so much there's a couple of layers to the question one is like recognizing the split where something is being split, split off. off and just like feeling that in myself what is that that it's being split and there's a i think it's different for me because she's quite strict and hard in her daily life and then very soft in her dream life mm. i think i maybe have them a little it's not quite reverse but i'm very very chill in my on my surface level version of me and then my, my mandel bulb is very very intense and so i've sort of that split has been one of the things that split me between yeah. the sort of like dr- dream bit and the, the, the physical like more normal reality and then yeah what makes her what, what do you have any ideas about what you think makes her, her good i almost feel like there's a lack of integration there uh, so that she she has that playful side but she is able to only express it in that context and that it would actually be good for her to have them be more integrated. And, yeah, uh, right. Uh, she's, because I think there's a subtle way in which I think as Paprika, she's maybe crossing her own boundaries a little bit. She's being that person for others, mm. uh, but she's not being that person for herself. Yeah. She's being playful. It's a bit pleasing. Like she's being playful and joyful, yeah. but only in service to others. Whereas she could do that for herself as well. And she's not maybe doing that. And that's where there's a bit of a clash. And that's where maybe her attraction to Dr. Takeda comes in because he's basically like a real life paprika right. a little bit. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, Like yeah, a playful yeah. character. Yeah. And then she's honoring her playfulness. She's only allowed to be that playful character because it's clinically useful. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah, this is really good. This is like helping me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because yeah, um, it's like the split between the chill and the intensity almost like maintains the integrity of both of them. Yes. Because if, as soon as you merge things, you, you lose the extreme ends of the, of the scale. Right. And so it's almost like by, by being forced to split those things in myself, it's like it, the intensity has stayed up at 11, which is allowed me to go really 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 deep into everything and and really explore things and unpack and da 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 da, while on the surface being very chill and actually the more whole thing which is what i've been you know working on for a long time is making that a whole thing that can span between the inner realms and the outer realms and the dream like and the physical and like bring more of the intensity into the surface and more of the chillness into the inside and that then yeah becomes 
more whole. I think that's right. And I think that there is nothing wrong with having that multiplicity. Yeah. You know, if you think we, we have talked a lot about internal family systems therapy, which has this basic assumption that plurality is not bad and that different parts can be good. But I do think that they can work on their inner relationship. And, you, and this plays up a bit in the film. They could be trusting and depending on each other a bit more. So they're allowed to be two separate parts, but they have to have a good relationship. Yeah. Because the extremes are in a way also quite useful, right? But, uh, but I think Paprika needs to take care of Dr. Chiba more. And Dr. Chiba needs to take care of Paprika more because Paprika right now is only taking care of other people. Lots of people maybe are like this where they are able to be their best selves for others, but not for themselves. Mm, and I, that's very yeah. recognizable for me as well. Yeah, like, uh, I can yeah recognize nice. that. Yeah. yeah, really cool. And the final thing to say about the movie, I think maybe, is that it's just really exciting to see something. And, and I think the animated format is great for this, mm -hmm. right? For the emptiness form thing and the dream thing. Well, there's lots of things going on with anime. The fact there is a Japanese genre that's a cartoon, but that is not necessarily for kids. Mm -hmm. That is considered an, an adult genre, but has some playful childlike things. And the fact that Japanese culture is animist in its mm. roots, right? It has an animist root in Ooh, Shintoism. Yeah. So uh, the parade is mm -hmm. very animist. Everything is alive. Objects yeah. are alive, right? And in, in Shintoism, everything has a spirit. You know, mountains have a spirit, plants have a spirit, this cup has a spirit. Mm -hmm. Everything is like this sort of like psychedelic spirit world. That is in a real way, I think, the basis of the Japanese worldview. And the Buddhism is on top of that. Mm -hmm. So the, the sort of like emptiness thing. I wonder, I don't, I don't really know if there are any cultures where the Buddhism is the basis, right? Because even like in India or in Nepal or something, you've got sort of the Hindu pre-Hindu plurality and the Obon in, you know, the sort of like shamanistic. Mm -hmm. so, th so that's an interesting question, right? If you think, I mean, we, we don't want to get into that whole discussion, but in many places, I think the Buddhism, the emptiness stuff is layered on top of shamanistic, animistic worldviews. Yeah. Multiple gods, plurality uh, beings, demons and whatever. I can't really think of any cultures where it's just Buddhism. I don't think that exists. And then the interesting thing is in the West, I think the Christianity and maybe the other Abrahamic religions have for the most part actually replaced, like they, they are also on the route of animistic stuff, but they have actively tried to destroy these things, mm. right? So the sort of like pagan roots of life in the West, they're still there. People are still somehow, you know, interested in them, but there's been a much more active attempt to create a full ideology from Christianity with a heaven and a hell and saints and things. Anyway, my point being <laughs> that this is a uniquely Japanese expression that allows us to engage with the imaginal realm in a way that is just a little bit harder with Western media sometimes. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Sort of because it's that layer of animism and Buddhism. So emptiness and sort of like a, a living spirit world that brings this to us. I love that. It's like, as you're describing it, I can see the triangle I have of body, heart, mind, soul. And it's almost like Buddhism is the perfect thing for the mind realm. But the mind is always built on the heart and the body. And then, yeah, what's the like shamanic, energetic worldview roots that that Buddhism is kind of stacked on top of. And then it's almost like when you have that stack of some kind of like shamanic body, implicit sort of interconnected understanding of the world and then you pop the soul realm on top that this sort of like dream quality then you get this whole world and realm of explorations of different aspects and it's sort of all coming through in this really beautiful soulful expression of of things 
Whereas, yeah, it's a lot more closed down in Western sort of cultures. And that is really interesting to me because this also, to me, and I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a new point, but in a way it explains why what's so dangerous about taking only the Buddhism Mm -hmm. and especially the modernized, rationalized Buddhism of like Theravada, which was a reaction to modernist colonial influences, right? Trying to make it more rationalistic. Take only that Buddhism and putting it in a secularized modernist culture, whereas in most contexts where the Buddhism originates, it's always stacked on top of animism, Mm -hmm. right? It's always on top of a layer of spirits and and sort of animate world. And it's always that combination. So it's like, it's mind technology, but often it exists in a context where there are other technologies or other traditions that engage with soul realm or that engage with body and and spirit and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that that makes it so destructive to just be like, okay, we're just going to forget about the Shintoism, forget about the Obon, forget about the demons and the things. And we're just going to take the mind technology and just have that be in the void. And then Mm -hmm. you get sort of emptiness, dissociation stuff. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, we're getting into deep, into deep things here. Yeah, I thought that was uh, just an amazing film to talk about. Definitely. Yeah, really nice. Very cool. We hope you enjoyed the show. Next episode, we're going to do a season wrap up. So we're going to revisit some of the key insights and our favorite bits from the shows that we've done so far. And then after that, we're going to come back with season two of Nouveau Shamanic Cinema, a slight revamp and a slightly new format. So see you next time for the season wrap up. Bye.